0: Well, do I look like a party animal today? Well, the party's on today. Now it's not the Fourth of July for me; it's my mama's birthday. Yeah, uh, she passed away a couple years ago, and uh, I know right where she is. Now I'm celebrating her today, though. She's uh, she trips my trigger. She, uh, I've gotten a little glimpse into heaven, and uh, anybody ever read Heaven's for Real? If you've not read that book, go read it. I'm not really interested in what the uh, pastor, given all his theology, but I sure am very interested every time that little boy speaks, because there's something special about what he's saying. It gives me glimpses into heaven I've never had. And so I can see my mama today. If you read the book, you'll see it. Uh, Nobody there is over 30. There's hope for the rest of us. <laughs> I was talking to a friend the other day, and he said something about uh, you know he had to stop playing softball. And I said, I know. <laughs> My wife and I moved to San Diego several years ago, and we lived there for about a year. And uh, they invited me to come play on the softball team. And you got to understand, I grew up playing sports. If there was anything to do with the sport, I played it. And uh, I love baseball. Baseball is just one of those sports I I fell in love with. And so I went out. I stretched, you know, like a nice 40-year-old is supposed to do and, you know, warmed up. And got up to bat. They threw the first pitch to me, and I put it on the right field fence, top of the fence. It could have fallen over, but it didn't. It bounced back into the field. So I decided to turn the jets on. (laughs) I'm standing on second base going... What's up. I pulled both hamstrings. I determined at that point there was no more jet fuel in the jets and the jets were over. Jenny and these jets were done. And so I healed up for that a couple of weeks later, you know, just, okay, I need to stretch better. So I need to get back out there and get with it. And uh, so I get back out. I hit a single on my first shot. I trot to first base. I'm on first base, and the guy behind me hits it, so I take off to second. I pull both quads. That's when I decided I'm sticking to golf. All the rest of the stuff is over. My first trip into uh, Colorado Springs several years ago, um, we decided to play basketball. And when I couldn't breathe after the first time up and down the court, I'm going back to golf. That's all there is to it. So. But I am celebrating her birthday. Uh, can't wait to see her. You know, I never got to meet her when she was in her 20s. This is going to be a riot. She's having lots of fun. She, you know, I just keep hearing her voice. Don't worry about me, sonny boy. I'm in good shape right now. No? she would be 82 today. Another part of celebration is we're headed to Colorado Springs this afternoon to celebrate my third granddaughter's three-year-old birthday. She's excited. So this is a day of celebration for me. So, All right, I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 16. Anybody ever read a section or a verse or a, a kind of a section of verses, and you just looked at it and go, I don't get it. And you read it again, and you go, I still don't get it. And you read it for months, and you go, I don't get it. I'm going to read one of those to you. Uh, that happened to me this way for several months when I read this, one, it was just like I kept scratching my head and going, you know, I know there's something good here, but I don't get it. I, I just I can't see it. Um, This is Luke chapter 16, verse 1. I've, I've encouraged you on many, many occasions to pay attention to who he's talking to. So you see in verse 1, he also said to his... So who's the crowd? The disciples. There's 12 of them. Not sure if any of their friends or family were there, but he was definitely speaking to those twelve. So that's the audience. He's talking now to his family. Do you know I talk differently to my family than I do to strangers? I reveal things to my family that I don't necessarily reveal to strangers. You say that's, you know, what's the big deal about that? I don't tell strangers secrets, but I do tell my family secrets. This is one of the secrets of heaven that he's he's getting to the disciples today. Took me a long time to get here, but when I did, it exploded. So I'm telling you, not only am I having a party today, I'm really excited to unveil part of heaven to you that I've never gotten over it. And once I saw it, it has wrecked me. And this has been one of those guiding things in my life when I got this secret out of heaven that really has transformed me. So watch. He tells a story. There was a certain rich man, again, he's talking to his disciples, who had a steward, and an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So the master called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? I want you to give an account of your stewardship. Basically, he got a a yearly review. Anybody ever had one of them yearly reviews? They're so fun. (laughs) If you've done a good job, you know, it can be fun. You can get a nice big pay raise. And Mike, we probably ought to talk about my yearly review for long. Just messing with you. He said, for no longer can you be the steward after your yearly review. You've been wasting my goods." Look at verse 3. Then the steward said within himself, what shall I do? Okay, and watch. He's getting fired. Now he starts to have a conversation with himself. Anybody ever had a conversation with yourself? Yeah. Got to be careful sometimes. You got to understand who you're fellowshipping with. You know, if somebody hurts you, many times you'll have that conversation with yourself like they're going to say this. When I see them, they're going to say this, and then I'm going to say this, and they're going to say this, and then I'm going to deck them. (laughs) What's happening there is the enemy's using the hurt to stir up your emotions to fuel the hurt. This guy's not having that kind of conversation. He's having one, oh my God, what am I going to do? I just got fired, and now how am I going to He's trying to come to himself. What am I gonna do? Look at this. He says, So what shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. One, I cannot dig. I've checked out my hands, digging's not in not in the future. Two, I'm ashamed to beg. And then he comes to it in verse four. I know what I'm gonna do. I resolved what I will do. That when I'm put out of the stewardship, that others may receive me into their houses watch what I'm going to do. Verse five. So he called every one of the master's debtors to himself. And he said to the first one, how much do you owe my master? He said, hundred measures of oil. He said, "So take your bill right now, right now, sit down quickly and write for 50. I'll give you 50% off. That's a good deal. And then verse seven. And then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said, all right, sit down right now, take your bill and write 80. So the master comes back and meets with the steward and commends him for being the unjust steward for what? Because he had dealt shrewdly or wisely. Now that's the parable. That word commended messed me up. I just couldn't quite get a grip and why he would say that. And that's what I want to spend the bulk of the time today talking about. So when you read scripture, you need to pay attention to who's who's he talking to. Secondly, if he's telling an earthly story, when does that earthly story end? And then when does Jesus begin to interject heaven into the earthly story? All right. So we got the end of the parable and this is what we have. We have a man who's not done a very good job. He's been lazy. He's wasted his goods. And so he's losing his job. In the midst of that, he has a brilliant idea. And that brilliant idea, he decides to cut the master's AR, his accounts receivable, to one guy in half. He said he called all the debtors. He only named two. So I'm assuming he had more than two. I can't prove that. But out of the two, he cut one in half. He cut the other by 20%. So this guy loses... 50% on one of the AR accounts and loses 20% on the other AR account. I don't know exactly how much money that was, but that was not his money. Is that right? So we're up to snuff. Was he doing it because he wanted to bless the master or he wanted to bless himself? All this is selfish ambition. So when you get down to saying, and the master commended him for being the most selfish jerk on the earth... You can now understand my trouble. I don't get it. You're firing him because he's wasted your goods. I'd sue him for now cutting your AR. Is that the way you think, or am I the only idiot in the building? I would take legal action. That's not your money. That's embezzlement, and you're going to jail. Secondly, you have to ask, why did you leave him in charge of your AR to start with? You're firing him. How does he still have access to that? Does anybody else ask questions when they read scripture? I mean, those are the things I start thinking about and going, and you commended him? You know what that word commended means? To applaud, laud, praise. I got other terms I would put in there, but not this. We pick it up. Finish verse eight. Then Jesus begins to interject heaven into the story. Here's what I want you to see today. We don't necessarily see how heaven thinks. I guarantee I don't think like heaven thinks all the time. There are parts I am still learning. 56 years of age, Been saved since I was 14, had some radical encounters with God from 14 to 56 that have transformed many, many areas of my life. What I am on the quest to do until I end and go see Mama and Jesus, I want to know how heaven thinks. If you can get glimpses, I promise you, if you can get glimpses of how heaven thinks on topics, it'll change the way you live. Because it will release a part of life that you never knew. And when that life comes into your being, it's like nothing else. It's like nothing else. It's the sweetest aroma. It's the sweetest flavor. It does something. Every time I encounter heaven like this, it does something in my being that I cannot get over. That's what I'm questing for. How many of you know, uh, at 56, I don't particularly know everything. I know a lot more than I knew at 14, but I don't know everything. How many of you know when J.R. graduated from seminary and he got the degree, he biblically did not know everything? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> All right, I'll give it to you this way. How many of you have a degree or you got a certificate of training in some area that made you an expert in that area? Do you know everything as soon as they gave you the piece of paper? Yeah, I graduated from college too. My wife graduated Ola, Sumacun Laudy, I graduated Olaudy, I'm out. (laughs) I didn't know come here from Sikkim. What I did have though, is I had a piece of paper that said I did so many hours and that made me much more valuable, ha, I didn't know Squat. What I'm trying to tell you is this. If you're in your journey and you're still learning in your 50s, 60s, and 70s, welcome to the club. This is the only way I know how to live, and I like it. I don't mind saying I don't get it because there's parts of heaven I don't understand. There's parts of the spirit I don't understand. There's parts of this life I don't understand. I'm still questing, but I guarantee you this. I'm not quitting. I'm going to find out. I don't want to get to heaven and be shocked. I don't know about you, but that's the one thing I don't want. I don't want to get to the other side and go, oh, my God, I was way off. Dang. I really want to walk in and go, hey, Dad, how you doing? Can I see my mama first? Yeah, she's right over here. She's going to give you a tour. Thanks. I'll be right back to you. And take the tour of mom. I just don't want to be shocked. Why? Because if I'm shocked there, it means I missed out here. That's just the way I think. May not be right, but that's the way I think. So let's look at the interjection of heaven. He makes several points. I'm only going to cover one, but I'm going to show you as your homework, you can begin to dive off into the others. Look at the end of verse eight. For the sons of this world are more shrewd or wise in their generation than the sons of light. That should not be true. So we're going to look at this word shrewd. Actually, I've entitled this message, The Secrets of Being Shrewd. Did you ever think you are going to come to church and learn to be shrewd? Well, you are today. So I'm going to show you the secrets of being shrewd. And this is what he said. This is what the Holy Spirit said. Now I'm going to interject heaven into that story. Watch, Jeff. He said, I say to you, verse 9, make friends for yourself by unrighteous mammon. When you fail, and uh, they may receive you into everlasting home or habitations. Look at verse 10. Point 9 is... Uh, Verse 9 is point 1. That's the one we're going to cover today. 10, 11, 12, and 13 are 2 through 5. Watch this. Then he starts to interject heaven into that story. This is the way, again, we're listening to him talk to the disciples. He's given an earthly story. Now he's given some heavenly meaning. Verse 10 is point 2. He who is faithful in what's least, also faithful in much. He who's unjust in in what's least is also unjust in in what's much. Verse 11. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in unrighteous mammon, money... Wealth, who will commit to you true riches? What's the difference between unrighteous mammon and true riches? Boy, there's an heavenly injection. Not talking on that today, but that's a good one. And if you've not been faithful in what's another's man, who will give you what is your own? Hmm. Verse 13 No servant can serve two masters, for he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. All those are heavenly injections into this one story. I'm not undermining two through five. I just don't want to focus on, don't have time to talk about that in the time frame that we have. I want to focus on the first one where he commended the unjust steward for being shrewd. What does that mean to you and me? How do I learn as a son of the light to be more shrewd than the sons of the world? That's what I wanted to catch. So I had to go back and say, what are you saying? I don't get it. He said, go back to verse 9. This is where the Holy Spirit opened it up to me, and this is where I saw it. He said, I say to you, make friends for yourself by unrighteous mammon. That word unrighteous mammon means wealth or money. Okay, take my money and make friends. All right, okay? Then when you fail, that word, his definition is cease or die. Okay, when I die and I'm out of here, they're going to receive me into an everlasting home, habitation. Everlasting is eternal forever. That home thing is a tent, cloth hut, literally or figuratively, habitation or tabernacle. All right? Leave that verse right there. So I began to meditate on verse 9. I said, okay, make friends for yourself by using my money that when I die, people will receive me into an everlasting home. What do you mean? He took me back into the parable and he said this, what did the unjust servant do for the people that owed the master money? He gave him a good deal. His was on selfish motivation. This is what Jesus said to me. Jeff, I don't think about money like you think. My view of money is not the same as yours. Your view of money is a security. It's the way the world works, and it's a status. Heaven doesn't view money like that at all. Doesn't mean any of that to us. What is it to us? It's a tool. Is God against people having money? No. Yeah. You can't find that anywhere in scripture. Well, you can find well, You know, there's deceitfulness of riches. That's in the parable of the Torah. Or you can find that, you know, out of the deceitfulness of riches, people stumble. People get tripped. Or, you know, it's better, some people have twisted that even you can't serve God and serve mammon. They've twisted that to say, man, you better just stay in poverty so that you don't fall into the pit. <laughs> I reject all that thinking. Why? Money doesn't mean anything to heaven other than it's a tool down here to people's hearts. Watch. He said, if you'll take your unrighteous mammon and win friends with it, use it as a tool to get them to drop the guard of their heart, then you can shoot them with the gospel. I said, elaborate. He said, all right, everywhere I went, look at my ministry, look at what I did. I said, you got my attention, What? He goes, Jeff, I gave people good deals everywhere I went, whether I healed their bodies or whether I set them free from some demonic presence or I liberated them to go live, I brought them salvation. It didn't matter. I gave them good deals and those good deals caused their heart to drop and he began to give me illustrations. Remember Peter Fisherman? Jeff, I remember Peter. Yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah. You got him? Yeah. He's a fisherman. Remember, he's out in the boat with Jesus in the middle of the day, and they're just fellowshipping one on one. And Jesus said, Hey, cast your net. And, uh, and Peter says, um, You got your degree in ministry? Hello? You don't know nothing about fishing. I'm a fisherman. You don't know nothing about fishing. You don't fish in the middle of the day. We're out here just riding the boat for the fun of it, okay? He goes, Cast your nets. He goes, Okay, so he casts his net and almost sinks the boat with the number of fish that jump in it. Peter falls on his face before Jesus says, depart from me, for I'm a wicked man. What made his guard drop? A good deal. Peter knows fishing and he knows you don't catch. And when he catches right here, he knows he's now sitting in the presence of the king. The Lord of Lords, the king of kings. That good deal changes entire perspective. I have a friend of mine, a couple, it's a couple, and they had two daughters. And one of the daughters, the oldest daughter, got trapped in drugs. Couldn't get out. She had had some events happen in high school that she just couldn't recover from. She turned to drugs, they antidote the pain, and she was trapped. She got trapped so bad that she would come sneak into their house when they were at work, steal their checkbooks, and write checks on the parents falsifying all the information but getting the cat because she needed more drugs. So they had to change their lifestyle with her. They called me one day and asked me and Jenny if we would join them. We're very good friends of ours. Uh, I played golf with him a, a million rounds, it seems like. And we're, we're just really good, good buds. And eventually I hired them to be uh, children's pastors at a church we were at. And, uh, but their daughter was trapped in drugs. And he called me one day and he said, uh, hey, we want to go into praying over our daughter for 40 days. We feel like the Lord has given us some scriptures. And in those scriptures, we're would like we just asking specific couples. We're not asking everybody. We Specific friends of ours, if you would join us for a 40-day de- declaration over her life that God would capture her. And I said, dude, I'm all over that. Hammer down. So he sent me the scriptures and Jenny and I began just to declare those over her. On the 39th day... She's sitting in the worst part of Fort Worth, Texas you could be in. It is the absolute worst part of the city, anybody. And she's high on drugs. And she's sitting on the curb. And she's stoned. And she's looking for her next fix. She's broke. She's gone through some horrific relationships. She had a tubal pregnancy that almost cost her her life. And she's a mess. And she's sitting on the curb. and She looks down in the gutter and there's a $100 bill laying in the gutter. And in her state, she picks it up and she said, God, you're the only one that could have put that there. I want to go home. I want to go home. Picked up the phone, called her parents and said, can I come home? They said, of course. They receive her back into her house. They help her walk through, getting totally free, getting the drugs out of her system, getting to a place mentally unstable that she could walk. That little girl, for the last 10 to 12 years, I've led hundreds, if not thousands, of five-year-olds to Jesus. What caused her heart to open? One good deal of a $100 bill laying in the gutter. Oh, could she have taken it and gone and bought drugs and thought, thank you. Thank you, God. I really appreciate you helping my drug habit. No, she got the message. You see, good deals change people. Good deals. The deal about this is that we need to learn to be shrewd to give good deals, that we use money as a good deal giver. This is where he really taught me the whole lesson. 20-plus years ago, we moved to Dallas-Fort Worth. When we moved there, we rented a house in Cedar Hill, Texas. And in this little house, it was just perfect for us. We had three girls, five, three, and one, and Jordan wasn't born yet, but he was born in that house a year later. And when we moved in... It was in uh, October, November. It was about November, right around Thanksgiving time. We moved in, and our five, three, and one-year-old daughters all of a sudden, two doors down, one door down, second house, uh, there was a couple there that had a five, three, and one girls, and they came out and met our girls. <laughs> I mean, you know, when you have that kind of connection, you're going to be forced to be friends with parents. <laughs> it's on. So we met Donnie and Lori. Hey, we love you little girls. They're so fun to play with our little girls. They're so really fun. You know, this is kinda of like instant babysitters. We might get a break here. This is awesome. This is cool. And so we started this relationship. This is what I noticed about Donnie. He's a genius. He's Catholic. She's Baptist and they go nowhere. But he's a genius. Uh, He opened his garage to me one day, and I found out he had Home Depot in his garage. I'm like, man, oh, man, is this going to be good. I don't have to go to Home Depot for nothing. Not only did he have Home Depot in his garage, but he also knew how to use every part of Home Depot out in the world. It didn't matter what it was, this old boy could fix it. Now, for an old boy that doesn't know how to fix it, This is a good find. (laughs) So this man, I mean, he he literally could take a, he, he could repair a transmission. He could rebuild an engine on a car. He could build a house from scratch. He knew it all. He worked for the city. And he had laid concrete for years, worked his way up to management, decided he was tired of that. So he he pulled out books on computers and began to study computers to the place that he got a brand new job being the department over the head and the department head of the computer system for another city. And they said, well, you need certain certificates. So he went to DeVry University and got the paperwork to prove that he already knew what he knew. And while he was at Devarai, the professors would ask him questions because they didn't know, but they knew he knew. But he was getting the education from them to prove that he had it. This was my buddy Donnie. Donnie liked to play golf. He's terrible at golf. Terrible. I have three hole-in-ones. Donnie has three whiffs. He can't hit the golf ball. He is. He's not good. But I found that he bowls. The boy can bowl. He swings the golf club left-handed, but he bowls right-handed. I've watched him bowl a three hundred. He can bowl. So we create this friendship. At this time, we are going to church. We we're in a men's group. I'm in a men's group. My wife doesn't come. I'm in a men's group, and I invite Donnie to come to my men's group. No, thank you. No, there's resistance every time. Well, my men's group decides to have a golf outing. Donnie, would you like to play in our golf outing at church? Yes. He's terrible, but yes. So, we, you know, I'm just working a friendship. I find out we start chipping from each other's yard across from lady in between, a single lady. We chip across her yard into my yard and chip back <laughs> across into his yard. I'm trying to teach him to play golf. And we had a little green space behind us, so we made a triangle. We chip over here, and the girls are playing. Y'all go play. We're, and, we're, and the wives are like, we're our husbands. We're playing golf. And we're just chipping away all around the neighborhood and we're having fun and, and we're creating this friendship. And then I, you know, we have a, a men's outing that goes bowling. And I said, Donnie, you want to come go bowling? I'm warming him up. And I said, okay, Donnie, you've been doing all these things. Why don't you come to Bible study? Nope. Okay, no pressure. So we continue to play golf. We continue to bowl. We bowl in a couple of leagues together. I mean, we're having a great time. And then we have a hailstorm come through. You know, in Texas, you can get hailstorms we get them a little bit here, but Texas, we get hailstorms. I've seen some hail in my yard like this. I'm like, these are meter, meter, metered. Man, these things are like, you know, they knock out car windshields. They take, they totally, I mean, it's terrible. Anyway, as a renter, I called my owner and said, you had a hailstorm. Click. He owned his house. I'm like, so a pile of the shingles show up Two pilots of shingles show up. I'm like, oh, man, he's about to have some roofers come to his house. This is going to be cool. So I went over and said, hey, so when the roofers coming? He goes, what roofers? I said, well, the guys that are going to put that on your roof. He goes, ain't no guys coming. That's me. I said, you know how to do that? Stupid question. Yes, you know how to do this. He goes, yeah, I know how to do this. I'm going to do it. I said, okay. Want some help? He's like you know anything about roofing? Nope. I know how to drive nails. He goes, that's okay. I said, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I will carry every pack of shingles you have up the ladder and put it on the roof for you. Would that be all right? He goes, you do that? I said, yeah, man. That's what friends are for. So, you know, a pile of shingles there, I carry it up. Another pilot shows up. So how many more of these are coming? He's like, I don't know. There's a couple more. And so I carry all the shingles. I got the whole roof lined out, stacked with shingles. And uh, he starts, I mean, he's up there hammering away. He's like, he's got one of those hatchets. You ever seen a roofer that knows what they're doing? They, they, they roof with a hatchet. I knew nothing about that, but it looked cool to me. Like, okay, man, that's cool. You know, and he's up there. And so I, after I got all the shingles on the roof, I started passing him shingles. I mean, I'm like unpacked. And I'm watching. This is fascinating. And he's just hammering. We're just cutting rows up and down. You know, it's hot in Texas, so you have to do it in the cool of the morning and the cool of the evening, or you just burn up on the roof and disappear. <laughs> the way it is, man. So I'm hand- in the morning, like, I'm going home to eat lunch. I'm tired, man. And then I come back in the evening, and I'm helping him. And he-, he keeps looking at me like, and finally, after a while, all the time, I said, man, this is not rocket science. I can roof. He said... Start over the garage. I said, why in the garage? He goes, in case it leaks, won't hurt anything. <laughs> I get it. So I got me one of them belts. I had all the nails in it, had my hammer. I was feeling right. You know, man, I'm, this is good stuff. So I start over the garage, bam, 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 and I'm, I'm cutting rows, and I'm getting it. And by the way, the garage never leaked. <laughs> Just saying, don't call me to roof your house because I ain't coming. But, I mean, on, on this one, you know, we got to. And so he had to go back to work. So I was talking to a buddy of mine in my men's group that is a banker and he plays golf with us and he's no good at golf either. But I play golf with both of them because I enjoy their company. It's not about what you shoot anymore. It's about who you're with. And these guys are just golfers and they're, they're trying. So I was telling him what we were doing at Donnie's house. He goes, hey, dude, I'm a roofer. I said, well, I knew you were a hippie at one point, but I mean, you're a roofer. He goes, dude, when I was a hippie, I roofed all the time. I'm like, all right. I said, well, he goes, Let's finish it while he's at work. I said, dude, you're on. So he comes over and we hammer all this out. And Donnie comes home and he's like, I've never had anybody do anything for me like this. He goes, I, I, I don't, it, he was lost for word. It was the most fun thing. He's like, this is fun seeing you stammer over yourself. This is cool. And he, he just didn't know what to say. He said, What can I do for you guys? And I said, There's nothing you can do for us. You don't understand what real friendship looks like, hot rod. No strings attached. There's no, no coercion. There's no manipulation. It's just pure friendship. He goes, man, I, I, thanks. God, this is incredible. I'll pay for golf next time we go. Yeah, I have to pay for golf. No, can I take you out a lot? No, dude, calm down. Just receive the gift. Now, what I'm learning is how to be shrewd. This is shrewd. Anybody here deer hunt? You can put out corn and wait. (laughs) And they will come. And when they come, you harvest them. That's what I'm doing to Donnie. What I've done right now is because he owes me, I've caused the guard of his heart to drop. It's what the deer do when they go to the corn. The guard drops, and they began to eat. You got them. And Donnie's guards dropped. At that time, at our church, we had Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames. Anybody ever seen that production? It is an incredible gospel production that shows life while you're living it in heaven and hell. It's an incredible depiction. It's a beautiful salvation It's about an hour and a half long production. I got free tickets now to that production. And so now I'm not asking him to go to a Bible study. I'm asking him to come to church with me. Donnie, I I picked you up free tickets for you and your whole family. And I want y'all to come to this production. I can see it. Mm. He couldn't get no out. (laughs) Why? Because he owed me. This is shrewd. This is shrewd right here. I got him. <clears throat> he said, I'll go. I said, okay. So we go. We sit in the balcony. It's a sanctuary about like this, but it had a, about three or four row balcony across the way. We sat in the very far corner balcony. There was a the stairs coming right down that side. We were on that far corner. We still in the front row and went through the whole production. And I'm looking to see how he's, how he's responding to it. He's a Catholic boy. He got burned by religion. He hated religion. He got smoked. And as soon as they gave the invitation, he grabbed his wife, Lori, by the hand, and he almost ran to the front and gave his heart to the Lord. Five, three, and one trailed right behind him. They all gave their heart to the Lord. Then they began to tell their cousins, and they all gave their heart to the Lord. So you see when it says when you fail, there'll be a line in the everlasting habitation, thanking you for being shrewd. You see it? Ten years later he was one of the pastors on my staff at church. Still one of my best friends today. Done incredible things for the kingdom because I was learning a heavenly principle to be shrewd. You see people, people are looking for a good deal. All they want, no strings attached, just a good deal. It may not be all about your money. I didn't have any money to give Donnie at the time, but I had muscles. I had time and I was willing to invest. We look for opportunity. My wife and I look for opportunity everywhere we go. Lord, how can we be shrewd in certain situations? And we're looking for the opportunity to cause people to get their heart guard down. When they find out you're sincere, real, and genuine, and they drop their heart, it's just like harvesting deer. Bam! And you got them. It's so fun. Why does the enemy not want us to be shrewd? Because he wants to trap us in a selfish way that all we do is receive and we stop giving. And I'm telling you this, if you learn to be a giver and you'll catch heaven's opinion, heaven's viewpoint on the tools that we have, the resources that we have to give, it gets to be the absolutely most fun thing you do in life because it wrecks people. I'm a shrewd wrecker. It is so fun. Can you imagine, just for a second, can you imagine the widow who gave her two mites, can you imagine how much fun the Holy Spirit had blessing that old girl's socks off? Tell me that you can give to God and not get it back. Impossible. Can you imagine when she gave those two widow mites, what happened to her? Can I tell you today? From 20 years ago today, when I learned this lesson, My life has never been the same, ever. I could tell you story after story after story about this because it's not a Bible lesson to me. It's a life. And being shrewd is absolutely the most fun thing in all of the world. When I got a view, literally got a view of how heaven sees money, can I tell you right now? God is able to pour a billion dollars through me right now and not change me. Because I have heaven's view, different. We don't see money the same way. He wants to do that in every one of us. Whether it's with your time, with your talents, or the gifts of the Spirit, it doesn't matter. He wants to use all of those as tools to affect people's lives. And He's calling us to be the most shrewd people of Castle Rock. It ought not be an indictment against us where it says the sons of the world are more shrewd than the sons and daughters of the, of the Rock Church. It should not be the indictment against us. We should be able to flip that thing and say, the sons and daughters of Castle Rock Church Rock should be more shrewd than anybody in the sons of the world. Amen. And when it is, Katie bar the door. I don't care if they ever come here. It doesn't, I'm not trying to populate this church. What we're trying to do is populate heaven. And people need a good deal. We are just a conduit to bring it to them. I'm gonna ask you to bow your head right there. I'm gonna ask you to ask the Holy Spirit right now, who do I need to be shrewd with? Who is in my circle of influence that I need to be shrewd with right now? Will tell you a name. Now, how do I do it? Asking. What's the inroad? Let me see what you see. Stand with me. I had a pastor friend. He and his wife are celebrating. I can't remember if it's their 30, 40, 50th anniversary. They'd gone over to another country and celebrated on the way back. They, they were just like giddy kids. And uh, the stewardess on the plane fell in love with them. And they said, what are, you, what are you two kids doing? And they said, well, we've been celebrating our anniversary and, you know, in 40 plus years, or whatever. And they, so the stewardess just had such fun with them. They went back and got a bottle of wine. Anybody ever been on an airplane and looked at their wine list? It's not the most elegant. But they brought a bottle of wine, and I'm, I'm, something I didn't know, they really had some good wine on the plane. Again, not Jesus turned water to wine. Is that okay? All right. So took this wine, and they gave it to them as a gift. You've been so fun, we're going to give it to you as a gift. Well, they didn't drink. But they had a next-door neighbor who was a wine connoisseur. But because he was a pastor, this next door neighbor would never talk to him. Every time they saw him, he'd shut the garage door on him. <laughs> See him in the yard, walk in the house, shut the door. Why? Because that pastor title messes up some people. I hate that title personally. I'm not, not a big fan of pastor. Because when I was a drug dealer, everybody would talk to me. You got any samples? <laughs> then as soon as you turn pastor, it's wham, door shuts, garage doors goes down and, Stupid pastor lives next door. Oh, God, help us, Jesus. <laughs> so this guy won't talk to him. He takes this bottle of wine. He asks the Lord, Lord, you gave this to us. What do you want us to do with it? You know we don't drink. He said, Take it to your neighbor. The one that doesn't talk to us? That's the one. Went over and rang the doorbell, holding up the bottle of wine. The guy opens up. He goes, Oh, you. What do you got? He goes, This was given to us for our anniversary. We don't know if it's any good or not. It could be Mogan Duck. We don't know, because we don't know anything about wine, but we want to give it to you. And the guy looked at it and goes, That's a very nice bottle of wine. Shrewd. Guard down. Bam. That's all there is to it. Get the picture? How shrewd are you? How shrewd are you? Let's be shrewd, folks. It's worth it. It's so fun. Come on, ask our altar ministry team to come forward. If you need prayer in any area, we want to join you. We want to shout with you, stand with you, fight with you, celebrate, cry, whatever it is that's going on in your life. We're here to stand with you. Let's close in prayer. Dad, we love you. There's nobody like you nobody like you. Lord, there's somebody in the room today that doesn't even know if you're real and their cry right now is, if you're real, show yourself to me. That display who you are. Let them see how sweet and wonderful and kind and caring you are. I ask you to overwhelm them. Lord, there's some people in this room right now and they've, they've got some things in their life they can't get out. They're, they're addicted to it. They can't get free from it. I ask you right now, supernaturally, Come upon them right now. Liberate them. Ask you to break the bondage. You said you came to set the captives free. Liberate those. Today, let us catch a glimpse of how heaven sees resources as tools, not status, not security, but a tool. Let us begin to catch your heart on giving that we may change the world around us. Ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.